Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 23rd. We have an extraordinary podcast for all of you listeners today as I am joined by my dear friend, Olympics contributor, tennis talent extraordinaire Nick McCarvel to hand out some hardware for the 2022 WTA season. That's right, folks. It's time for our year-end award show. And on today's episode, Nick and I dive into just about every topic you could hope for. Of course, we talk about the mainstream awards. Who was the player of the year? Who were the most improved players? Who wins Newcomer of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year? Those sorts of awards, certainly a centerpiece of our discussion today. But then we have some serious fun at the end of the show as we get into the biggest storylines we will remember, we will take away from this 2022 season. What were the rivalries we saw unfold on court? Were there any significant rivalries that might carry over into the following years? Of course, we also talk about our favorite players to simply watch compete out on court. We talk about the players who had a moment at some point on the calendar that certainly you'll remember this year for, of course. We into some other make-believe things as well. The no-no-drama, no-no-no-no-drama award. We talk about how much weight we put behind each of this year's award winners. It's, again, a fantastic conversation. I guarantee all of you podcast listeners are going to enjoy today's show or your money back. With that in mind, I want to get to it as quickly as possible. But of course, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point. And remember, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15 for all of your tennis-related holiday gifts. Or maybe you owe yourself a gift. You want to treat yourself after a year of hard work. Certainly, if I think you have earned it, our friends at Tennis Point do as well. You can find everything you're looking for at the cheapest prices, tennis Point.com. Use that promo code CR15. With that said, let's get to it. A fantastic podcast episode with the one and only Nick McCarvel. Joining us on the podcast once again today, and in all honesty, making his long-awaited return to the show is a man all of you listeners will be very well familiar with as his face, his voice associated with just about every big event that happens on the tennis calendar. Of course, in his spare time, he's also a contributor extraordinaire for the Olympics. But of course, we know him as our dear friend, Nick McCarvel. Nick, welcome back to the show. It's been far too long. How are you doing today? Welcome back to a second serve, everyone. This is, <laughs> you're watching T2 here uh, on Tennis Channel. No, no, no. I, Gresk and I miss you. We had a good, I have to say, you know, it was a weird, like you and I did this second serve show, which I'm guessing you've talked about on the pod a little bit, at least. Um, that was a cool, like for me, it was like a cool experience. You and I got into the studio together. We were with Nick Monroe, a few other folks. Um, but it was cool to like be across Paris, be across the WTA finals and yeah, to get to actually work with you. Yeah. A couple of things off of that. A good to see you're not listening to the show because you know, you were unclear. Some things never change. Um, now I had to sneak that in B we really got to binge one another. Like it was like a full on week of like, look, it's going to be five hours straight. We're sitting next <laughs> to each other. Like, I really yeah. hope we get along. Otherwise it might be. I mean, I'm. 
I'm nothing if not honest with you. So. Yeah, <laughs> which is what makes it such a joy to have you back on the show and such a pleasure to be around. And then the third thing I wanted to get to, it's virtual, but you are virtually in my childhood home as I am currently at my parents' house here getting ready right. to celebrate. Can you detail at least one of these? There are several trophies in your screen, <laughs> uh, which seem to be strategically placed, but could you detail at least one? I will say I don't need a green screen. It's not the worst background. We've got <laughs> Honest mean, Abraham Lincoln over there looking over my too. shoulder. We've got the Club Tennis National Championship plaque they gave us this made it feel oh. more legit than anything it was like you're we're getting plaques yeah thank you and it, by the way it took me two minutes six seconds to bring up the club tennis national title so there's a gift uh for you another episode of gruskin bingo here but you know being in my childhood home my mom will be so upset that she's not here to see you that she can't come uh. say hello because you talk about second serve and i have you here today so we can do a little second serve chat like one of the First pieces of feedback I got back from my loving mother, who, of course, tuned into every second of every episode that she could. She's just like, oh, that Nick McCarvel is excellent. He's just so professional. And he just gets out. And and so uh, please know that she was quite uh, fond of you. I'm I'm actually I mean, I was a huge fan of her fandom of me. (laughs) Um, And I'm sad that she's not. uh, You're in your childhood bedroom, but somehow she's not in the house, which I'm still confused by. But okay. No, that's sure. how it works in our house. It's best when there's a degree of separation, but the theme is together. Um, yeah, it's great to have you, obviously, on this show to be able to reflect on Second Serve because for our listeners who didn't get the chance to watch that, it was a second screen experience. We were able to do a little bit more talking, flushing out of storylines than you traditionally hear on a broadcast. And obviously, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Since then, you've participated in so many things like Second Serve through your career. I'm curious what you think of the product and if it has a place in the tennis world. I mean, I really do. You know, and I was telling our friends at Tennis Channel, you know, that week that we spent in Santa Monica together and and sort of before and after, too. Like, I, I do. I do think that. And and. There are so many tennis podcasts and there are so many ways to consume the sport. And, uh, you know, do I think that like a 24 seven second second screen sort of experience can uh, can always exist? Not necessarily, but to have to be able to have it for the big events. You know, I, I actually for a few years was part of the ATP tennis radio team and I thought that was an incredible product. Now, in the end, I don't think financially it really made sense for the ATP. But, you know, for folks to feel like they have a like communal place to come. And obviously, you know, we're sounding off on different storylines, what's happening in the moment, betting. There was a lot of betting lines with Second Serve, which I'm still confused by. I mean, not confused by that, but just like confused by betting and the terminology, which you tried to help me with. Um, Still have no skill. Yeah, I I do. You know, I I mean, the ones that you mentioned, I've been a part of separately, like Wimbledon, they've had the Wimbledon channel, Um, uh, the US Open's done it before, the Australian Open has done it. So I know that the Madrid event has tried like a Twitch stream before. So I I think there's space out there. and, And it'll be interesting to see like how Twitter melts down on itself for sort of how that morphs. And then it feels like there's even more of a chance for people to feel like a communal feel around the big events. Yeah, it, a couple of things off of that. The over-under on your continued confusion as gambling comes. Yeah, it's high. It's a, you take the over, not the under uh, on that confusion, certainly. But I agree. I think it's fun to talk about tennis 
openly on a show the way I think fans are talking about tennis in their daily conversations for those who like to engage in those sorts of things. And that's what we were able to do on Second Serve, able to, I like to think, have a fun dialogue. And it always helps when you have people like Nick Monroe or Tracy Austin or Pam Shriver, who their pieces of advice, their observations, dare I say, tend to be better than us mere mortals. And it was very fun. I mean, they also let us screw around. They also let us, you know, explore silly things. Ask DJ Mixalot. I apologize. I'm butchering the name here. DJ Two Terms. DJ. I, I, should I just keep throwing out names? DJ, no, not DJ Triz. That's the U.S. Open. Uh, yeah. Well, the loving City Open DJ, whom we love dearly. But, you know, as DJs comes, that's not where Nick and my forte. But we got to ask him, what does tennis taste like in reference to his taste of tennis show? And do all these sorts of silly things that I do think help illuminate the many fun aspects of our sport. And, you know, obviously, one of the fun things we get to do every year is hand out awards at the end of every season. And that is why we... We have you on the show today. Now, I do have to ask, full disclosure, are you an awards voter, Nick McCarvel? Well, I am for the WTA. I guess I don't know how that, like, makes, how I make the cut, or is that only sent <laughs> to certain people? Or is it open to the public? I actually have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't, so there's a public vote, yes, but I don't think, I think it's just, like, for fan favorite, and I think that's the only uh, one where they get oh, a say, right. and then you have, like, the polls on the side, but, no, there are official voter rules, and one of my bucket list items is to get on them. Nick McCarvel, it sounds like you are. I mean, I got an email from the WTA, and <laughs> it says outlet, and I'm like, I don't, I was, like, freelance? I don't know. I'm yeah. not, an, I don't have an outlet. Um, yeah, I think I've done WTA voting for the last five or seven years. I don't know, but... Um, does Agar Vavronska still win the fan favorite even though she's not <laughs> playing anymore? No, Federer played one match this season, so he's going to win another sportsmanship award. Like, let's be sure. perfectly clear. Yeah, I mean, gonna... he was a good he was a good sport in that match. You know, he he let um, Francis and Jack win that match. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. No, it's for the record. The least we can do here at Cracked Rackets with all of your generous contributions over the years, if for Outlet you'd like to list your voting on behalf of Cracked Rackets, we would be honored to have you represent us in the vote. Already voted. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say. myself. Okay. <laughs> You're just trying to get into voting, Gruskin. You can't use my vote to get in on – no. No, this is the honesty that, again, I appreciate so dearly. So it is great to have you on the show today to talk through some WTA awards. And look, we're not going to get to every award. What was the best tournament of the year? There are certain things that I love to discuss, but I also like to get into the abstract. So we're going to get into the big ones, of course. Player of the year, most improved, newcomer of the year, comeback player. But then when we look back at the 2022 season, what I like to use the awards to do is tell the story of the year. So I want to talk about things like what were the best rivalries we saw on court? Who were those players throughout the year? A little sneak preview, but say like, a Bernarda Pera, who had a little moment in the month of July. Like something when you look back at 2022, again, there's no award for what Bernarda Pera did, but we want to honor those types of things here on today's show. With that said, before we get into it, one last, I suppose, abstract discussion for you, Nick. You look in other sports, NBA, NFL, I don't know the exact figure skating configuration, but you can correct me here where we're at. Things like most valuable player, things like coach of the year, things like, you know, who wins the golden boot, I think it's called in soccer. Those awards have gravitas. The question I would ask you, because I'm of the opinion 
that tennis awards don't really matter that much. Like, we have a ranking system, and I wish we put more value in the awards we give out every year. That's why we do these shows on them. But I'm curious your perspective on how much weight you actually put into a player receiving, you know, two, however many X awards throughout the course of their career. I always like the awards. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't have that. And, and the ITF does even like a separate, like they do world champions, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that that's always, there's a dinner at the French open every year that honors the previous year's world champions or world. I guess I don't know the exact phraseology that they use. It's like I'm the world a, number one person, right? You, is it always? I, th- I think so. It's whoever, yeah, I know that's okay. what they do in the juniors, right? Is because at that dinner, right. they also honor the junior number one. Yeah, I'm not a part of that voting scheme. If it is, a, if there's voting for that, but I, I, you know, the the ones I really like are, you know, like player of the year. I mean, you can argue always, but like oftentimes when I do the emceeing, I I like to look at like was someone breakthrough player, was someone comeback player, because it does put in context a season when they've, you know, whether it's a breakthrough, whether it's a comeback, whether it's most improved, that sort of those sort of categories sometimes player of the year i'm kind of like well it, it usually it should be clear but the the debate i think is part of the process and it allows us to have this conversation and fans to weigh in and i mean what greskin you want to have like another thing for tennis to do like you want to have an end of the year <laughs> gala where the players have to go now the off season's like two weeks yeah. i mean no, not to get to the human rights aspect of it all, but since they're all going to be in Riyadh anyways, it turns out let's just have the ceremony there, I guess. That's where we can do the dinner. Um, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. The debate that year-end awards afford, that's maybe the most fun discussion you could have as a tennis fan, a tennis community, because you can incorporate stats, you can incorporate arbitrary feelings you had about a certain player in any year. By the way, I have a notes, a note in my notes app about things I want to do better and improve on in my MC role. And I literally just stole right down how many awards they've won in their career, because that's just an excellent tidbit that I will be stealing moving forward. Nick McCarville. Yeah, no. And it's because it goes with, I mean, like you're just saying there, we love stats. We love numbers. We try to contextualize them. But oftentimes, if someone was the breakthrough player of the year or like the ATP does one, what's the one of is the ATP where they 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 just give it world number one. Right. Where it's just like, that's your player of the year. Yeah. But don't the players also vote? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Which is like to me is like that's the ultimate respect of like my peers say that I'm X. Yeah, that's pretty huge. No, I, except for sometimes you feel like it's a popularity contest more well. than anything else. But, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Again, that's what makes these debates fun. And with all of that said, let's get into our first award. And it only took us 12 and a half minutes. We're rocking and rolling here. On, welcome back, my friend. Um, but when you look at the ballot for player of the year, and shout out to the WTA for getting these out already. It makes this yeah. podcast certainly easier to do. Here are the nominees for player of the year. Own Jabur, Coco Goff, Jessica Pagula, Caroline Garcia. Interesting to see Elena Rabakina thrown in the mix. That was a nominee I don't think many expected. But then, of course, the player who will unequivocally win this award. It's not actually a debate. It will be Iga Svantec. She probably will end up winning this award unanimously, which I'm curious how many times that's happened in WTA Tour history. So rather than discuss 
who the player of the year is. Here's my question to you, Nick. When you and I'm stealing this bit from someone, but typically with awards, you know, how do you compare the player of the year one year to the player of the year in in another year? And it would be great if they just gave out various sizes of the trophy. So like Serena Williams 2013, that's a hundred pound player of the year trophy where it's like, no, this is one of the Pantheon seasons. You bring home the big hardware you know, maybe like 2019, I don't know if it was Simona Halep, I'm just throwing that name out there, like smaller trophy for Simona. She was very good that year, but it wasn't a Pantheon season. My question to you as it relates to Iga, on the 0 to 100 arbitrary scale, how much should this player of the year trophy weigh? Is this a Pantheon season? Uh, yeah, 90. I mean, like close <laughs> to me, it's like close to up there. And who can, Greskin, do you know who was player of the year last year? I cheated. I just looked it up. I'm going to guess Ashley Barty. Yeah, it was Barty. Yeah. Um, in 2020, it was Sophia Kennan, which I guess she made <laughs> two slam finals and won one of them. So that's um, like a 20 pound trophy where it was like your Jan. No, it was cool. On, that was a 50 pound trophy. A 20? She, she won okay. a slam. You're, okay, I'll throw. Fi- well, it was the Kobe. Okay, but I could make a case that Simona Halep 2020 was actually her best season. And like mm-hmm. that, that, I think she went like 29 and three. And like okay. she got blitzed by Iga at the French Open. But in retrospect, it's like, oh, yeah, of course you did, because everyone did. And it's like that loss aside. But anyways, yes, carry on. We digress. Uh, (laughs) No, I I really do. You know, when there is no debate. And actually, I think that is so indicative, you know, from you connect one part of your question to the other is how heavy should the trophy be or or what's what's the size of the award for Ega? And it's so easy. We don't have to have this discussion. I'm, I'm with you on that. There's no to me she is you know she she did what she did in so many different ways the the reason i i would put it at that 90 is because the on court stats we know them if you're listening to this podcast you know and understand <laughs> what Iga Svantec did with the numbers to me and my experience interviewing these people understanding you know how they how they work how they click as athletes as humans Ash Barty literally walked away from the sport on top of the sport grand slam champion. You know, she, 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 she fully, it was her mic drop. Iga Shvantec picked up that microphone and was not afraid to shout into it immediately, you know, from February through to Wimbledon winning the French when everyone expected her to, you know, you can make the argument that that Zhang Qingwen match could have gone either way. That's what happens at every slam. And she did it. She managed it. She destroyed Coco Goff in the final. And I just, the, you know, the round of applause for her in being able to pick up, take that baton from Ash Barty at a time when women's tennis is, we're still figuring out what this generation is. Iga absolutely, absolutely owned this year. And I would even argue you could, the if you're going zero to 100 it could even weigh 95 97 but i'll go with 90 no it's it's a top tier player of the year and you know for her to have three individual slams just to run through the numbers very very quickly you know she's the seventh youngest player in history to get to three i joke about this all the time 
greatest of all time of conversation is boring. But guess what? Iga Svantec is not eliminated yet from the greatest of all time conversation. She has legitimately, statistically put herself on pace. And of course, you look at her statistically compared to the field, there is no comparison. 67 and 9 overall on the year. She's the only player over 60 wins on the WTA Tour. You look at the top 10 victories, you know, I think she had 12 overall. That might have been before the WTA Tour finals, but the next closest player during the regular season had five, like 12 to five in top 10 victories. She had 18 top 20 victories. The next closest player is at nine. You know, she makes 12 quarterfinals, 11 semifinals. Like it's just in eight titles as well. It's just event after event, week after week. There was never a bad week on the Iga Svantec schedule. And even in some of the losses, you know, you want to say in the moment, the Caroline Garcia loss in Warsaw felt off. Well, we saw what Garcia went on to do for the next six months. So I think, again, with retrospect, not a bad loss. I think I throw out the Wimbledon match because Iga's played like 12 total matches on grass courts in her career. And so I just, I don't count it yet. I'm not ready to get there. It's just like the week in, week out excellence we demand from the best world number ones, she brought it to every single event. And the only knock I would have, the only knock, is that I think if she gets the year-end finals title as that just definitive feather in the cap, then it's a 95-pound season. Because she's missing that, dock to 90. I'd go dock to 90 because of it. Uh, so this is a, this is kind of a random anecdote, but stick with me from, (laughs) from Cincinnati or excuse me, from Toronto to Cincinnati, we, you had to fly, which I was there. So I had to fly from Toronto to New York, New York to Cincinnati and Ega and her team happened to be on my flight. Well, we're coming and I've flown a gazillion times and so have they obviously. Right. I mean, obviously they've traveled more than me, but we're coming into LaGuardia and we're in one of those small, like prop planes and we fully pull up like at the runway. Like it was terrifying. I mean, I've that's happened to me a couple times, but it was like one of those smaller planes where you can feel everything. Yeah. So anyway, we come back around, we circle LaGuardia. This I looked at the flight attendant who I think was her pants. I mean, it was it was scary. Yeah. So anyway, fast forward um uh, three weeks later, a month later, I'm out to breakfast the the day after the US Open in midtown manhattan and i happen to be at the same cafe as Iga. <laughs> so i walk up to her and i'm like hey don't mean to bother you but congratulations like what an awesome like i hope you can really enjoy it and she's like thanks so much we get to chit chatting a little bit and then i was like gosh do you remember the that landing at laguardia like that was crazy and she was like yeah we were terrified like that hasn't happened to us before like that plane she was like i was like really freaking out And to me, it serves as a little bit of an analogy for she went through some rocky periods this summer of coming back down to earth, getting pulled, getting pulled into the orbit of the tour again. And the way that she was able to find that next gear to lift off again and win the U.S. Open, because this discussion, I think, I mean, she still would have been player of the year without the U.S. Open. Let's do, you know, let's pull that away from her. But the fact that she there was all the thing about the balls, which I know got blown into bigger (laughs) proportion than it was, but she wasn't playing that great at the U.S. Open and she still managed to win 
her first Harcourt major, which uh, again, I, I think that is why we're having the discussion of why and how, not who in this category. Let me just say, not only did I enjoy that analogy, that will be our breakaway clip on Twitter for this podcast. That There it is. Great. Lock it in. Good. That's, that's why you're but the best it, But it works, right? And, 100%. And Absolutely. also, can, can we just humanize these people also? Like, yes. imagine, and your face when I was telling that story, even though you've traveled a lot too, like that was scary. And like, it's like, is our, did we lose an engine? Like whatever. Well, that's how it feels. I don't know, but I imagine that's how it feels to be a professional athlete. Did you lose an engine? What did you almost hit on the runway? Why have you lost four matches in a row? Why did you lose at home to Caroline Garcia? Now that, that story obviously took on different, different uh, sort of layers as, as Garcia's season unfolded. Why did Iga lose to Beatrice Hadid Maya in Toronto? You know, just all of these different things. And for her to especially be continuously pulling out and you can, people can always correct and have their own opinions, whatever. It's her career being the, putting the important piece on the mental approach, what she's doing. And I I was courtside Gruskin for US Open Radio for the women's final with Mike Cation, our good friend, (laughs) and Sophie Amiak. And I, you know, one of my jobs is like, I'm watching the player boxes and the tension was obviously high for Anjabur and for a lot of different reasons. Right. But Iga's team, it was like, we're at work. You're at work. I'm at work. This is a grand slam final. But, you know, there was no sort of like standing up every point and blustery and big chess. It was just like, okay. You know, she really, she faced down that adversity in the second set against Ans. I just, I don't know. I, I can, I can keep going obviously, but Tipping, tipping the cap. Yeah, just quickly, Amiak, that's how you pronounce it? Sophie Amiak, yes. This was a huge moment for some of our listeners as well, because like me, they had no idea how to properly pronounce it. So shout out to you, Nick McCarville. You're absolutely right. And, you know, the most amazing thing is we've been talking about Iga for 10 minutes now, and we didn't mention, what was it, the 37-match win streak she went on. And, you know, again, to humanize things, Barty drops the mic. Iga picks it up, goes on on this 37-match run, and you think to yourself, okay, 37 straight matches, she is going to be the player of the year. She has done enough to cement herself as maybe the player right now on the WTA Tour. And then there was a little bit of a dip. There was a bit of a blip where that Warsaw through Cincinnati stretch, it wasn't as... So it wasn't as easy for Iga to just blitz through everyone the way that she was. But to your point, to see her recover at the end of the year and win the U.S. Open when not playing her best tennis, that is the feather in the cap. And it is enough. And it's why it's still a 90 despite the tour finals, semifinal loss. It's because she had two runs. Like there was the 37-match win streak on the unequivocal best run. And then it was, hey, just a reminder going into next year, it's my world now you're all living in. And to do that at 21 years old as well, just absolutely exceptional. My last Iga question, would you be more or less surprised if she does not end the year uh, and next year as the world number one? Oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be more surprised. I I don't know if I necessarily expect her to end or excuse me, if she does not end the season. Does not end the season. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's I'll be, why I'll be you less host. Surprised. That's why you usually ask. <laughs> no, the no, questions. no. It's, I mean, it's all good. I, yeah. I, I actually don't. I, and this is. I haven't really thought about it too much, but I think it's. I think 2023 is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Kind of what we we just talked about with the flight and the you know 37 matches and slams and all of that. 
now she's entering into like a whole whole new ball game which but you know again the Barty retirement the win streak the world number one the french the rebound she's proving herself over and over again and that's you know that's what we celebrated for the serena farewell and roger and all of it is that these athletes figure it out again and again so she's i mean so far the chapters that she's writing are are hall of fame worthy and as you put it our greatest of all time worthy still yeah and i i will be interested i think it'll be a really challenging season in different ways for her it's very easy to get eliminated from the goat discussion she has not so far and that has value as it relates to player of the year yeah exactly in the non-ega category just quickly if it was and you know we don't have to get into the stats of this because i don't have a definitive argument i just want to go by feel owns coco pagula garcia and we'll put rabacana because she's on there as well who and can we best- also put ash barty like come on yeah. WTA. you want to slam wasn't she undefeated she yeah she had a, she a, a perfect like five weeks and it was just like why is she ash was, on the list yeah it's it's a good argument to make she should get an honorable mention I mean, as well ash is retired right and she's like i, I was thinking it was active players but like Serena's technically retired, right? Yeah. So she's on one of the lists. So um, you're, this is a good question. I was actually thinking about this as we were talking about Iga. Um, you know, I want to go to Ans because of the two slam runners up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that she got to number two, winning a couple of big, she won Madrid. That was the biggest title of her career. Uh, you know, the, the storyline around Tunisian tennis, Arab tennis, tennis in that part of the world is huge, especially the way that she did it. But then Garcia, man, I feel like she's just, you know, I was in Cincinnati. She actually played on my court. I was on uh, emceeing on Stadium 3. She played there like two or three times. So it was kind of cool to watch like the, you know, the sort of some of the first steps of that run on my, on that court. Um, I'm going to give it to Ans, though. I just, you know, two slam finals, world number two. You know, I know that she kind of ended the season on a little bit of a wounded warrior, but I just think that that was the miles uh, on her machine. And hopefully she's going to be refreshed for 2023. I agree with you simply in the fact that it's really hard to make two slam finals in a row. And she did back it. Back to back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like we... Don't go look at how many times do you talk about the last seven years? It was like there were 14 different semifinalists out of the 16 spots or there were, you know, eight different finalists at the four majors. And it's like owns insured. That didn't happen. Now you can question the draws, but guess what? She beat everyone she was supposed to beat this season outside of her French uh, French Open first round loss. But that's like it. She had and I guess Daria Seville in Indian well you know what's funny is I've done this own Jabur bit so many times this season that it's like I always point to two losses it's always the French Open and then it's always Daria uh, at Indian Wells who I think got her in three sets in the first round um, but like okay two bad matches that's yeah. it and I just think her getting to f- like Pagula is the other case I would make I think that's the other person I would turn to just because I don't know how Jessica Pagula has a better season than this one moving forward, where you're just in the quarterfinals of every big event. Yeah. Yeah, I go, yeah, you go owns because of the two slam finals, but it's really, really close. Yeah, I think it's really close too. And and you can you know you can make the case for Rabakina. I, I, to me, she's she's part of the category, but it's tougher. And let's not forget about Coco. I mean, yeah. the fact Greskin that she makes the French Open final and the doubles and gets to world number one in doubles, you know, that's, 
uh, that's not anything to sleep on either. So uh, that the the silver plate I, to me, it still goes to Ans mm-hmm. as sort of the runner up here. But uh, it's an interesting discussion beyond. And also, I think you know, for a lot of folks who continue to you know say, "Where's the next Serena?" and "Why aren't there rivalries in women's tennis?" and all that bullshit. Well. There's some really, really great storylines if you choose to be invested. And even for me, like I spent a lot of the year working on the Olympics front and sometimes wasn't that tuned into tennis. But for a lot of it, it, there are these these really cool building storylines that if you're paying attention, then you've got a lot to be interested, intrigued by and excited for in 2023. The reason I would keep Coco off the top three podium if we're going gold, uh, silver, bronze is just because she'll get there. Like, don't worry, 2026 will come and you'll either be silver or gold. And like, I'm not worried, Coco. There's no guarantees in sport, you know? Very, very true. But top five in singles some and scholars, doubles. Some scholars say. Yeah, some scholars have argued it's true. Um, but you talk about intriguing categories for me always the most intriguing is most improved because improvement is so arbitrary. And how do you value improvement? Is it going from outside the top 100 to inside that range? Is it going from on the fringes to now your top 50 player, maybe seated at all of the big events? Or is it that player who makes the big jump, the hardest jump to make going from very good to elite? Now, did anyone even make that jump this season? You could argue Iga could very well win this award as well as player of the year. Now, she's not on the ballot, and I love you, WTA. I would happily receive a vote and vote very kindly, warmly, affectionately. I disagree with the nominees for the most improved category, and you look at some of them, certainly all very deserving. Veronica Kudermatova. I think she has to be in a top five discussion. She is on the ballot. You have Beatrice Haddad-Maya who I would argue was this good, was suspended, has played her way back into this form. Yeah, she made a leap, but I think we've seen it before. That said, with how many wins she's, I think she's played like, it's like 195 matches since August 2020, and she's won like 140 of them. It's just like, she's just been ITFs to 125Ks to the WTA. She's killed it. There's no doubt about that. You also have uh, Alexandrova, Samsonova, and Isla Tamjanovic. Now, right. where I disagree with these, again, in terms of most improved, A, I think Iga has to be on the ballot because I know she's going to win player of the year, but the jump she made is the jump. Like, that's the one that if you make that jump, now you're in all of these fun historical conversations and you are. Yeah, but can't you just weave most improved into player? Like, she's player of the year and that involved, that includes her improvement. No, but I think she deserves both You're stealing a category from someone else. No, but so this gets back to what we talked about at the beginning, and this is where we get to have the fun debate. Um, what should these re- uh, rewards, rewards and awards? Awards, ref- yeah. Ref- it's because I was going to say the word reflect. Awards reflect I got into you. rewards. But it worked, uh, actually. The reward. It is The award is a reward, but what is it? Yeah, yeah, keep yeah. going. I'll learn, I'll learn how to speak English. We'll get there eventually. Uh, that's what editing is for. But the what I would like the awards to reflect is the story of this season. And with all due respect to, I think, again, Kudermatova, very much in consideration. Ludmilla Samsonova, very much in consideration. I would also think Jessica Pagula should be on this list for making that jump, not from good to elite, but from good to very, very good. Like I am in the big results of every, uh, big rounds of every event we're playing. That said, if I want this, the, the awards to reflect the storyline, I think Iga should be player of the year. 
And I think she should be most improved because her leap from very good to, oh, no, she's here, she's now, she's number one, that would be reflected in her sweeping both awards, which I think is the big storyline. Yeah, I I was actually just looking at – I was trying to find the WTA email that I got as an official voter um, (laughs) just to put that up there. That's good. That's good. I like it. I'm going to work that into the intro post edits. No, no, please (laughs) Yeah, I'm just kidding. God, make me sound like an (laughs) – um <laughs> more than i am um, uh, no uh, i i can't i don't think i i think i deleted i'm in a very like delete email sort of mind space these days it's very good, good efficient yeah exactly. Um, but there are parameters that they're setting out and i don't think that she would fall into said parameters of uh, i i get i get what you're saying but like it's it's just not going to happen. Like yeah. it doesn't. But that's what are, are you saying? Then if the re, if the awards had more of a reward, or if there was more of a um, stock in them, the headline would be Iga Fiontech sweeps WTA season ending awards. Exactly. That's the storyline I think we deserve. And for the record, on the WTA website, it says under the category WTA Most Improved Player of the Year, player who finished inside the top 100 and showed significant improvement throughout the season. That's Iga. (laughs) Like, I I hate to say it, folks. That's Iga. Um, And so, look, I'm sure there is more rigorous curriculum uh, assigned to each of these categories than I am portraying now. That said... Again, I think Iga deserves to be on here. I think Pagula deserves to be on here. I don't think Garcia should be in the most improved category because she had this level before. It was about Come her. Come fine. Exactly. When when we get to our Made Believe Awards, the she had a moment this season. That's where Garcia is going to slide in right. beautifully. I promise. That said, again, the nominees, Kudermatova, Haddad Maya, Alexandrova, Samsonova, Tamjanovic. Let's not be second serve biased. Isla came on the show. So she's a winner in our hearts. That said, who you who who are you voting for, Nick McCarville? Well, I vote. I voted for yeah. Kuda Mertova. Um, I you know this, uh, and to me, and this is actually you know part of the discussion that we could even throw into another layer of you know sh- should because they have a specific doubles category, mm-hmm. but should you know maybe should Coco Goff season be looked at a little bit differently because of all and same with Pagula mm-hmm. the success that they had on the doubles court should that be more considered in when we're talking about all of this but Kuda Matova I you know I mean you can spit out all the stats and numbers and that kind of thing <laughs> but you know the the ability to to take where she was and sort of where she had been oscillating for a while and be able to level up both in singles and doubles um i i thought it was incredible and also as blair henley pointed out several times during fort worth was the best dress player like in in the armani i think it's armani or no yeah Yeah, i think it's armani like the sleek black i just you know their the rabakana's uh wimbledon win sort of stands on its own right but Mm -hmm. kudamatova sort of quietly and who won Cleveland? Samsonova? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Samsonova, to me, did did somewhat of the similar, and her game is insane. If they're able to bring that level more consistently in 2023, watch out. But yeah, for me, it was Kudamertova. She had a 19-match win streak, Samsonova, where she won 38 of 40 sets that she played. Like, it, 
It's, I mean, she's finishing this season over 80% hold percentage. It's her, Garcia, in that category, and that's it. And the 80% number on the women's side is the elite of the elite. I wanted to bring this up just because I wanted the exact number for Haddad Maya. I don't mean to slight what she did because, again, no one has played more matches to work their way back to the top than Haddad Maya. Here's the final number. Since the start of this pandemic era, August 2020, Haddad Maya, 152-49. and 49. She's played 211 matches in two and a half years that's it's like a match every three days like including off season and everything. but then you're it's making just, the argument that she shouldn't be in the category no because she's been really good throughout it like if, yeah. she was this good for two and a half years it's just now she has the oh, points I to see. be competing at this level and she's back at this stage no she should be in the conversation another snub that i think you'll agree with a player who was the 250 superstar, and you look at the stats, she's one of just five players to finish top 20 in both hold and break percentage of top 50 players. Marie Buzkova. Buzkova Ah. belongs in this conversation, I think, particularly, obviously, the Wimbledon run, uh, how exceptional she was there. I think she was a snub. I think she would finish third for me. (sighs) Man. It's between Samsonova and Kudermatova. They're both really good picks. It uh, Uh, It is. I would. Come on. Mm, you're just Samson, being Cleveland. You're being no, Cleveland biased. I know. I, things, she she was so are. nice to me. She was, I really <laughs> enjoyed her. No, the pick is Kudermatova. The quarterfinal. Yeah. You know, no one here. No one respects quarterfinal appearances more than me. Kudermatova had 11. That's third most on the WTA tour this season. 11 quarterfinals is freaking nuts uh, this year. And so, yeah, I, I, I think she's the pick. But it, it's a very close conversation. This is again, in my opinion, the best category. Yeah, it, it, it's a fun it's a fun category. And two, I mean, look at someone like Isla. You know, I, I think it's interesting, though, because, I mean, Wimbledon impacted her this year. She makes the quarters for a second year in a row, but doesn't get those points, as we all well know. But then, like, it, when you look at the level that Isla was able to bring against Serena and then to follow that up, actually, I thought that was, I mean, there were so many crazy stories during the U.S. Open, but that was one of the stories that got lost a little bit, is Samsonova absolutely should have beaten Tomjanovic and was winning that match, actually. Tomjanovic figures out how to win, like, a crazy 80-minute second set or first set and first, first set, set seven six yeah, yeah first, she stole yeah. the first set seven six but she was down five two or whatever and it was a long long set mm-hmm. and you know but isla still hasn't won a title is you know is there some sort of like ceiling on her mental i mean she australia makes the uh the billy jean king cup final but it feels like she kind of ran out of gas as well so yeah I, i'm i'm wow look at us we're two for two so yeah. far Iga and and on says runner-up for player of the year and Kudamatova. Let's I'm, go. I, I wore you down when we were together in San Juan. Again, that's what the binge of me does. No, two other shout-outs real quickly. Shout-out to Anastasia Potapova, former world number one, and we'll get to her in the you at a moment uh, category. Wang Shiyu, the 21-year-old from China. I thought she was also really, really good throughout the course of the season. I mean, just bombs the ball. It's it's really fun to watch uh, when she, when she plays big. And so just a couple other people I would throw on my extended ballot. But all right, these next ones, I think we can run through a little bit quicker. Newcomer of the year, it has to be Junction Wen, right? Like that's just the pick because she not only plays Iga to three sets, but she just backed it up week after week yeah. after week. 
Yeah, backed it up. And to me, I think the interesting the, uh, interesting thing with Shang Qingwen is that you can see all the tools are there. Yes. And you can also see that the tools are starting to work, but that the tools are like going to be even crazier once they really piece it all together. But the, the fact that she was able to have some of those strong results, you mentioned the three-setter at the French Open, made a deep run in Canada, had a few other really standout results. And by the second half of the season, you know, you can follow the Courtney Nguyen, Ben Rothenberg, Cracked Racket, you know, sort of this very tennis hipster seismic movement on social. You guys knew who Zhang Qingwen was, what, two, three years ago. But the fact that she, in the second half of the season, any, you know, sort of mainstream tennis yeah. broadcaster or fan would see that name in a draw and at least be like, oh, you got to watch out for that, which I think is it's huge. And I mean, there's huge commercial interest in China. I mean, she signed she signed some big, big deals this year. That's a lot of pressure. Right. So, again, you know, you look at from from one level to the next and how these players sort of figure it out. I think 2023 is going to be very interesting for her, too. No, absolutely. You you talk about it. She does. I mean, it's a little arbitrary, but it feels like there's some stardom surrounding her. They're, they're that aura that you see from the superstars. And certainly there's also a steadiness with which she plays and where it's like, no, 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 I'm the better player here. I'm going to beat you and figure out how my game is going to hurt you. That's just the mindset you almost have to have to be the best player in the world in today's game. And for me, I think the most impressive thing she did this season in my mind, making that round of 16 run in Roland Garros, beating Simona Halep, where it almost felt like for a moment, oh my God, is Halep going to lose to this young superstar who's going to win the title again? It's that the next week she went and played a 125K in Valencia and she won it. And it's just like, that's what you're supposed to do when you're young. Like be 19 years old, use those fresh legs, ride the momentum. And it's just like all the check boxes you wanted to see from the newcomer of the year. I mean, this is one of those in terms of newcomer of the year trophies, this would be north of 85 pounds. Like this is, this is a big one where it's like, you're now on the radar. We, to your point, you said the word perfectly. You are mainstream now and we yeah. will be watching you. I will say Shouldn't have just been Linda Fruvertova. They should have just put Fruvertovas and included Brenda. And like you can vote for both of them together. I also really like the Niemeyer in, in, uh, inclusion yeah. there because Niemeyer, not only was she great at the U.S. Open, but like you forget she just reached the quarterfinals at Wimbledon just like very right. quietly the, the tournament before. And so I actually really like the group they included here. But I'd say 85-pound trophy, about right? For Zhang Jingwen? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, it feels like that. I just, I mean, I watched her play. Was that Garcia? Uh, I watched her play in. Oh, it was against Sloan. Okay. In Charleston, and she won the third set six love. Um, but you know, uh, yes, I agree with you on the eighty five, and I go back to kind of my original statement around the tools, because oftentimes when you talk to a tennis coach or uh, you know someone who's looking at play patterns or what are the you know what are the things that you want to see this player utilize, how do you separate the good from the great, the great from the good? She's got all of those tools, and it was pretty cool to watch her figure out how to use them in matches. I, Sloan was one of them this year at the third set. I was like, you know, and Sloan can go away sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Yeah, I'm, I might even push her closer to 90. I like the 85. She needed, she didn't have that like one true, it was what, the fourth round at the French? Yeah, I think <laughs> I like, she did fourth round Wimbledon too, or like third round Wimbledon. Third round. She did pretty Rabacana. well there, Oh, actually, yeah. Rabakana, and I spoke to Rabakana after that match. That was yeah. third round. I was working for Wimbledon Uncovered. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was a 7-6-7. Seven, seven. That was Rabakana's closest match, I believe, of the, the tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it was against Zhang Jingwen in the third round. Yeah. So you know, if she, if she gets one of those, what was she made a deep run? I mean, Canada, we Qu- mentioned quarters, that. quarters, lost- quarters, ten, and then she made finals to uh, Tokyo, where she lost yes. to Samsonova, but beat Bedosa and Kudermatova, like you know, September. I also, I mean, I don't. I guess I don't know exactly what her off-season vibes are. I, I'm, or you know, where she's. I know she spent a lot of time, in, I think, in Spain, mm-hmm. but um, you know. She makes she qualifies and makes the second round in San Diego, and then they shut her season down. And now you can make the argument that she would have been playing like six weeks of tennis if the WTA was back in China after Mm -hmm. the U.S. Open. But we all know that story. That's not. And I like the kind of like finishes the year at World 25. There's big things to come in 2023. Let's have a robust 10 week eight week off season that's going to be huge for her especially on you know the the hard fast services in australia so i feel like i feel like she'd be a dark horse at the ao if if we preview the preview it feels like she'd be one of them to consider no i'll tell you this right now i will on the pod make a joke saying people are going to call her a dark horse but you cracked rackets listeners know she's not a dark horse she's just straight up in the mix like it's like if you know you know and i think she's yeah yeah yeah. but she's i mean she's never been to a slam quarter so she's a dark horse to win the title, fine. But I feel like, you know, to be in the mix, to just no, be no, like... No, 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 she's... I, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, you're right. God, we're, both, we're agreeing yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah, I know. We're I don't like this. This too is, much. Well, I'll say this. This I, I, Not to backtrack, but uh, since we're rating the scales of the trophies, if it was an EGA most improved player trophy, it's an 100-pound trophy, that'd be the one 100 I give out because you made the elite of the elite leap, which is just the hardest to do. I love you, Veronica Kudermatova. We gave you a lot of love this year. 30 pound trophy like I it's just like it was a really good year but is her improvement going to significantly alter anything that's happening moving forward probably not that's why that would be the case for Samsonova is you feel like Samsonova's improvement if it translates to next year she's another one of those players might get called the dark horse but if you know you know she's not really we saw the peak level um that would be like a 60 pound trophy because you feel like that improvement could impact things moving forward I feel like you're really underselling Kudermatova. 30, 30 pound trophy for just you're just bitter that it's not Iga. <laughs> Move past that. It's at least a double your thirty. It's a 60. Well, I had to, again. I had to throw a disagreement out there for you. Just there we to, go. Okay, yeah, make fine. sure make sure you're still I fresh. It. Yeah, uh, last one for you, and this is one where I'm particularly happy to have you on the podcast because I know how well you know these stories. Comeback Player of the Year, and there are so many great nominees who aren't even going to make the list. But of course, you've got Darius who's come back from just so many different devastating injuries. Yeah, and is now out again. Exactly, and we hope to see her come back in 2023. You've got Tatiana Maria, who, of course, came back after giving birth, I believe, to her second child, uh, if memory serves me correct. You have Donna Vekic. <sighs> And then you have Serena. I mean, I don't like feel particularly strongly one way or the other about Serena's inclusion. I know for some people it was sacrilegious. For others, it was like, how could you not include Serena after everything she's been going through away from the court? I don't know who to give this one to. This is tough, Nick. What do you think? 
Well, I'm I, I'm gonna be I'm true to my ballot. I yeah. you know I'm going I'm going down the the bubble. It's the hanging. There were no hanging chads for me. <laughs> it, to me, to me, it was it was Serena. Uh, and and I and I say that purely because I I was at Wimbledon. I was in Toronto, Cincinnati, and New York. And just to see the and Serena herself said it. She wishes that she would have started a little bit earlier. Now. Will we see Serena back on the tennis court? Who knows? I mean, I don't even think Serena knows that. But the fact that she put all of that effort to get back to the place that she was in, and mind you, does she get past that Tomjanovic hurdle? Then what happens at the U.S. Open? Who knows? But to me, it's like, you know, uh, I know that some people are, are are upset, not upset about it, but like, why why is she even included in this? It's like, well, it's Serena, and she hadn't played in, th- you know, twelve months essentially since that the Wimbledon fall. Um, I just I appreciate a good story. I appreciate more eyes on the sport and the fact that she did come back and she won some matches and she was the story of the U.S. Open. That's why she got my vote. If I'm going to be true to my categories or my my previous qual- uh, criteria for making these picks. I actually completely agree with you. I think Serena has to be the pick because if you want to tell the story of 2022, Serena being the comeback player of the year gets you into, well, there was the Harmony Tan match. It was pretty freaking tough to watch. And then we, you know, then we got to the warm up matches beforehand, Radicanu giving her the business in Cincinnati. But then we got to the U.S. Open, and boy, was there some lightning in a bottle moments. Even if it wasn't always her best tennis, the atmosphere, the energy, it does tell the best story. I would go Daria just because, again, to make the comeback that she did is so physically laborious and tedious and all these different things. But if if I'm being true to my categories, I think Serena has to be the pick there, right? Because that tells the story. Yeah, it does. No, no, no. I mean, and it's like... You know, we we are in a niche sport and we need these stories for people to understand. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, there's there's not only one chapter, there's several chapters dedicated to just Serena coming back this season. Um, it did remind me when Dasha, I think she made the fourth round in Indian Wells. She came on the tournament radio, which I was doing, and she's just like so. She's if you guys have ever, I, I'm sure your the followers, your followers will understand. Savile's just a great. She's so down to earth. She's she's weird. She's funny. She's just like so frank, and she was really happy to be back. So I, I'm with you on that too. And and I know that Vekic has been through so much. Shit. Um, so you can use another one of your bleeps there. I, I like. <laughs> Big, big time. Yeah. Um, for but, the record, I have a big bleep coming from me that I already wrote down an edit for. Uh, but okay. Yeah, but no, carry on. No, I just okay. So, so Donna, I don't feel like Donna cuts through the way that she should. Like mm-hmm. Donna's first, very well respected in the locker room, has done a lot of stuff with player council, has been through a lot of, and like you know, she she is a tall athlete. She's had a lot of injuries. This is a total aside, but I just love it so much at Wimbledon. <laughs> This is Wimbledon 2019. Mm-hmm. It was the first year of the number one court, like having the roof on it. Mm-hmm. And her, she she played one of the first evening matches there. They ended up using the roof. I don't know if you'll remember who she played, but at the WTA party before Wimbledon, I was, I was hosting the red carpet. So I was going around to all the women and saying hello. Just, hey, how's it going? 
it's me, Nick. Like some of them are like, who, who the hell are you? And other like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah. So I go up to Donna and I'm like, hey, Donna, uh, you know, how's it going? And and the draw had just come out that day. And I was like, who are, it's Wimbledon, mind you, right? Grass court tennis. And she, I go, who are you playing? And she goes, oh, and I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, I'm playing risk. Yeah. <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I mean, her, her accent isn't that heavy, yeah. but it was just this moment of like her having to play Allison risk on grass in the first round. They played on number one court. I believe Ali risk won that match mm-hmm. like no. seven, six in the third or something like that. Some scholars have argued that was the likely outcome. That would, that's a good inference from you, Nick. McCarver. First roof use in uh, number one court. Yeah, and one of the best personalities to follow on Twitter as well. Like, very lovable, very engaging, very candid. Like, you know, everyone got mad about the Tsitsipas answer about Rublev. Daria does that, but in, like, the best possible way where she'll be like, yeah, like, you try returning Rabakina's serve for two and a half hours. Like, no chance I was going to. No, Daria, excuse me, who will do that. And that's why I love Daria. As for Donna, um... Yeah, I mean, talk about long overdue that run in San Diego. Like, it just felt like pre-pandemic she was on the pathway you would want, any young player would want to be. And then just, you know, since 2020, it's been ups and downs and lefts and rights. And to get her body. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good, again, a lot of good choices in this category always. You could hand out, this is the one where if you wanted to hand out participation trophies to everyone, I'd be fine with it. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I probably go again, I go Daria over Serena in the end, but just by the slightest of hairs, because every so often you got to violate your own rules. Yeah, with yeah. that said, you. now we get into the make believe stuff. Now we get to have some fun with our final categories as we go through them quickly. And again, okay. when we look back at the year, what these categories will help us do is tell that story. What are the things we'll remember it most for? One of the categories I have, Nick, is top three rivalries. And you mentioned the this idea that fan that there aren't concrete rivalries in women's tennis right now. I think bullshit. Like that's just so demonstrable. Like I can prove to you that's false right now. And the first thing I come to is a rivalry that is sneaky emerging, and I think might be one of the rivalries that defines the next decade, has to be Iga versus Coco, right? Like, that's the one we're all watching for. And yes, there are some structural things that Iga will always be able to do to Coco that will make life miserable. Some scholars have argued heavy topspin into the Coco forehand can be a problem. That said, we see it now, and it's like... You've already played, what, three, four times? You have a legitimate shot to run this rivalry up into that rare, like, 30 matches played against one another, like, 30 to 40, and those are the elite of the elite rivalries. I think that's my best rivalry in women's tennis right now. What's your number one? No, it's not. No, it's not. Coco hasn't even come close to beating her. That can't be your best rivalry. I think that's the one I'm looking at for the future, though. That's the one that, like, emerges this year where it's like, this is it. This is the one, folks. Yeah, well, but you're fantasizing about what could yeah, be. And that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. But, like, is that a top three rivalry right now? You're talking about the top three rivalries in well, your ma- dreams. Make the case, if- then. Then what are the good rivalries right now? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, that's where I kind of disagree with you a little bit. Good. Like, well, it hasn't. I mean, yeah, let's have yeah. – <laughs> here's our first disagreement. Yes. Like, I, I don't – I mean – there's been some really great matchups and I, I mean, I, I really, 
I actually thought the U.S. Open, I would, if you're going to make your Coco Iga argument, I'd make an argument for Iga and Ons, where uh, the stylistic matchup is really interesting because they're both trying to do such different things on the court, particularly against that opponent. And also, I think if Ons can, uh, and Ons has been, I mean, like the 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 leveling up that she's done from being French Open junior champ almost 10 years ago to where she is now, uh, it's been incredible. So if she can click into that next, next gear, that second set at the U.S. Open was so close. And if she would have been able to win it, then things would have gotten to me very, very spicy for Iga in that third set. Their stylistic clash, I really like. I like the diff- the the differing matchups when you get them stylistically, and they've already got a proven track record of being able to play some decent matches, not the blowouts that Iga and Coco have so far produced. Yeah, the problem is when I look at my top three rivalries list, a lot of them are Iga-centric, like the matches I was considering. So Iga-Coco is my one for the future, which I saw enough of this year to be interested about. One of the defining matchups of the season is Jessica Pagula coming up against Iga Sviantek and coming up a little bit short. And again, it's hard to call that one a rivalry with Iga winning all of the matches. Then how about this for your Iga rivalry? And it's a little recency bias because we saw it in Fort Worth. We saw it at the U.S. Open. But Iga Sabalenka is always fun. Yes. And honestly, yeah, yeah. I could put good. Sabalenka versus anyone and you're just like, you're in. I would like Sign me up for the two and a half hours. But I think that Iga Sabalenka one also has a little something to it. Absolutely, uh, I think I think it does, and I, th- I actually, and you and I talked about this a lot on Second Serve. Is the the final eight in Fort Worth was so entertaining, and it yeah. was so many different. There were so many different matchups. Did we get like any like super classic matches? Not really. I don't know if the conditions were to blame for that or whatever, but I mean, the way that Garcia won that going away was incredible, but I would love to see, and I think this is kind of our wish every season is having that top eight. Let's throw Krajikova back in there because it feels like she's found her zip again. Let's think that maybe Paula Bedosa can find, she fell away this season, didn't she? Mm -hmm. So having, and then having players like, how have we made it this far in? And we haven't talked about Belinda Bencic, who's someone who I think could have a huge 2023. Maybe if Madison Keys can find that that level again. Yelena Ostapenko, think whatever you want about her as a person. The tennis was pretty good this year. So if, Greskin, we can have some of those matchups and we've got some helicopter traffic above me, but if we can have some of those matchups be continuous, Danielle Collins, always an interesting matchup, no no matter who she's playing. I just don't feel like, and I'm happy, you know, I'm glad you bring up the uh, Sabalenka Sviantek. I think that's big, but it like nothing really pops to mind. And I actually think that you're proving your own point when you bring up a rivalry that has been non-existent as your best rivalry like that to me says that there hasn't been that there hasn't been that thing to grab onto right that's fair but i do think there are some things brewing and so i guess then in lieu of this let me ask you this question as we look at the awards give me your three best players to watch the three players and ega's excluded we've done enough ega praise here so let's try to move to the non-ega category three players who when they walk on court like so for me arena sabalenka versus anyone it's probably going to go three sets 
I'm locked into that match. She's going to play 10 minutes where she looks like the best player in the world, followed by seven minutes where you're like, oh, my God, have you ever played tennis before? Which is just those deltas to me are so fascinating. She'd be one for me. Bianca Andreescu's forever number two because just like, I mean, look at the resume this year. There are no bad losses. When she lost, it was usually three sets until the very end of the season. Yeah. But just like... I think she's a player I would put on that best player to watch because her level will rise and fall based on the level of her opponent. And then the last one, drug test aside, would be Simona Halep, who in my opinion is just the perfect contrast to what everyone else is doing. It's like you can do your thing. She's going to track it down. She's going to make the match physical. Let's have some fun. Those are still my three best non-EGA players to watch. Now, it wasn't the most creative list there, uh, but I'm curious who you'd throw on there. Okay, and, and you're literally saying, like, players to watch, not, like, players that we have to keep an eye on. Like no, no, yeah, wanna... exactly. Physically watch. Like, exactly. Oh, okay. Not not looking towards the future. It's funny. I had this same conversation with Gil Gross, who tried to sing one of the awards I'll get to later, and it was a Amazing. very fun rendition. Uh, but, no, literally, physically, I am watching you play. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you with Bianca, so I'm, I'm definitely a check mark there. I, I love watching Ans. I love watching kind of the differing because there, and I know this gets overused, but it's true because there are so many tools in her belt. It's like when she chooses to use them and how she chooses to use them, I'm always entertained by that. I'm, I'll stay top tier and then I'll, I'll go a little hipstery. Garcia, like a, a peak Garcia and like, Dude, like, I mean, I've known I've known Garcia for eight years. She did WTA uh, Rising Stars back when I I was the host yeah, for that yeah. in Singapore, and and so was Osaka and and Ans actually, um, and Julin, who will have her breakthrough <laughs> moment at some point. But Garcia, like, look the part. God, she was well dressed at the you know like that kit that she wore in Cincinnati. I mean, she's so physically fit. Anyway, I, I love. Ooh, who's what's one. I know the hipsters like for me it's I mean I, I could like a Kami Osorio I think is another sneaky yeah. fun one where you're like ooh she's gonna fight and the backhand slice that's a like, good one actually yeah and then Madison Brangle just because I love watching what her Come opponent on. how they respond it, I just it's oh, just okay, like okay, okay. it's that's yeah. what I'm saying it's not like by the tennis it's the chaos that ensues on court as well yeah. Okay, so so mine would be uh, Cornet. I'm always entertained by Cornet. Great call. And I, and I I feel like she is someone. She is like a total sponge, as in she soaks she soaks up and then squeezes out everything yeah. out of herself and the opponent, which I love. And then kind of to your, uh, it's not Brangle esque, but Layla. Like I just yeah. I always think it's gonna be. Because to me, actually, like Layla's still kind of playing with a junior game. Like, I mean, she's a slam finalist. Jesus Christ. But like, there's still. There's a I, youthfulness. I no, I, I totally see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I feel like they've done a really good job at transitioning a junior game to the senior level. And again, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I come on here as a, a tennis reporter and commentator. I'm not an expert. I'm not an analyst. Yeah. But, but I don't think that of, was a slight either. Uh, yeah. Like just for the record. Well, but I think it'll be a slight when she, if, and when she can't figure out how to graduate her game. Cause Got I it. don't know, you know, like she's 
40 right now. Yeah. And I know she had some injuries and stuff, but I I just don't what's like the one big weapon that she like that she No, she beats Simona's you to the spot. No, but it's like she beats you to the spot. She takes the ball early on the rise. Like you're right, but it's like but what happens when you can't when you're playing a Robocana where it's like, okay, that's not possible. What's yeah. the next well, adjustment? Right. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, Halep, you could not that yeah. they're the same games, but Halep, you can say it when Simona is playing sort of her peak and she's coming up against someone who has all those weapons. She's learned how to to twist that knife. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it's been successful, other times not. But. Yeah, that was not players to watch. Literally players to watch. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, All right, last two for you. The She Had a Moment Award, which, again, to explain to our listeners, to you, what does this mean? I'm just going to give you a list. explain it to me. (laughs) Well, well, so I'm going to give you a list of nominees. And so that way, yeah, 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 yeah. I I did not expect you to have to work to this part. That would be unfair of me to ask, especially if you're not going to submit your ballot as a member of Cracked Rackets. Um, But (laughs) with all of that said, the She Had a Moment Award just means when you look back at 2022, oh, by the way, another player to watch, Marta Kostyuk, who like on the right day, you're going to get some spikes. And that's, it gets like intense tense between her and her opponent, which I really, really, you know, again, these are the fun things that make tennis enjoyable. I commentated a Kostiak doubles at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Which literally was literally was yelling to her mom that she needed to leave. She needed to leave court 17. Now I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes I feel like we're too entertained by it, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, at the same time as fans, come on now. That's you're you're right. It's it's a catch. It's a it's a double edged sword. Um. All right. The she had a moment award. A player who you'll look back at the season and be like, you know what? There was some friskiness there. There was something I saw. Something that we should probably take note of moving forward. And look, we've already talked about some of them. Like Samsonova had a moment this year, right? Like that would be a lot of the most improved player uh, categories uh, belong there. But like Caroline Garcia had a moment this year you look for like in Anastasia Potapova in the month of July when she I think it went semi-finals lost then a semi-final loss to Conteve then she beat Conteve the next week in that three-week run she had that qualifies as a moment Bernarda Pera went on like a win 26 uh, by the way I, I meant to stop Potapova had a moment this year yes or no uh, honestly, I wasn't as like zipped into exactly what you're saying. So sure. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, okay. That's a big David Kane one. So he's just okay. beaten. Yeah, the yeah. Pot of I mean, if Kane me. says it, then yeah. I'm, I oftentimes, sometimes the threads that he picks up on are, are very left field for me. And I'm like, okay, sure. Got he it. has actually a PhD in OVAs. So that's his, that's his specialty. Yes, uh, yeah. His and, in, special. and you know, he has the same PhD in figure skating. Yeah. Uh, uh, very much so. Cause he'll yes. name drop. He, if you listen to a David Kane mini break episode, and he does it on purpose just to f*** me, but he'll drop three figure skating references of like, no, Alex, this player is clearly X figure skater, to which I go like, huh? sure, David, like, you're right. And then he drops a Housewives reference, to which I will also be helpless, but it's always funny. So that's why we love him. So um, Bernardo Pera had a moment this year. Yes. Um, you mentioned one earlier, Belinda Bencich. Yeah. Very quietly had as many WTA wins this season as I think she did in her big 2019 season. Now, she didn't have the slam results, but week in, week out, she was at her best. The statistics say as much. I'm kind of buying some stock, and thus I Are think you? she had a moment this year. 
Well, she did. She did in Charleston. She won Charleston. It was her first clay title, actually. Mm-hmm. I was there that week. Um, and now is working, or she was working with Tersanov. I believe she's bringing the Tersanov relationship into 2023. I think for Bencic, the the Olympic medal, and now she's Billie Jean King Cup champions, which she, I mean, Jill Teichman was phenomenal, but Bencic led that effort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can make all the arguments you want to about what Billie Jean King Cup means, but now for Bencic to be an Olympic gold medalist and BJK Cup champ, mm-hmm. I just, I, yeah. I, and is the belief factor there for her to go deep at the slams? I'm not quite sure, but I I really like the Tursunov move because she's kept things pretty close to the vest with her dad. And I think, I don't know if she's still involved with her physio, but they, you know, that's been a relationship in her life for a while. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of like go outside the box and she did a couple interviews when, when she brought Tersanov on. Um, anyway, yes, she had a moment and she is a player to watch. I like watching her and she's also a player to watch. The amount of times mini break listeners are subjected to me being like, it's like a diet version of Belinda Bencic and that she just goes for it. Like it's like, cause Belinda Bencic, if nothing else, she's going for it. And that's what you got to love. The last two nominees, former world junior number one, Diane Perry, who beat Krachikova obviously at the, at the French open, excuse me. She then also made the third round of Wimbledon, a bunch of quarterfinals for her down the home stretch of this season. I think she had a moment. I would put her on this award. This would be another hipster pick here, but do you acknowledge it? Uh, I I mean, I definitely follow, you know, the French Open one was huge. Yeah. Where'd she finish the season ranking-wise? I think she's like 102, to be honest, which I don't understand. Oh, she be, or she's 105, but which I don't understand because she made so many quarterfinals to end the year. And I'm like... The, something the oh it's because Wimbledon doesn't add points duh that uh-huh. was there's your math right there but she was a top 100 player this season yeah I like that um I don't know if I would have picked her as like one of my standalone moment picks play. all right the last one I have for you between Ostrava winning the Midland indoor event Katie McNally to end this season she had a moment that's my last one and I think like it has to be there yeah, and and I actually um, in Cincy, I happened to like be walking away. I was really bummed that they didn't put her match against Sasnovich, um on my court uh, on Stadium Dome. Three, which I'll just call mine. Um, <laughs> but she, they were in that little like uh, the the bold court ten where Ben Shelton had his famous win over a frustrated Casper Rude who wanted to stand in Dayton to return <laughs> yeah. any anything. Um, but McNally, I'm right there with you. And I actually think, you know, the McNally, the little bit of burn with Coco and that doubles partnership ending, making the U.S. Open final with Taylor Townsend, they led by a set and 4-1, maybe. So that still stings. But then had a pivotal win for the U.S., had one of the few shining moments for the U.S. in Glasgow in the BJK Cup finals. And I, I think... She played Iga to what? Was that three sets in Ostrava? Yeah. Or no, it wasn't, no, I think yeah. it was a three-setter. Okay. I mean, I mean, very tight two sets, but it was a very good match. Right. I, yeah. I just think, um, you know, again, I, I kind of, I don't four know why. Four. four and four against McNabb. Four and Sorry. four. Okay. Yeah. But she beat, she beat someone. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways. Yes. That week, I think that week showed her that if she continues 
to stay the course mm -hmm. and play differently. Talk about someone who's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. She's got all those tools. So yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I, I like, yeah, I think there's just so many like interesting sort of trending up, trending down. And I think it's going to be able, who's, who's going to stay healthy. And also then how do you carry the momentum, whether you're a McNally or a Sviantec from this season into next? I would also say, I agree with you. And the last one I forgot to include, Chinese women's tennis between Zheng Chinwen, Wang Shiyu, Wang Xinyu. They're all 21 or younger. That's a nice core to just be able to build around moving forward. Uh, obviously, for a nation still not that successful in tennis overall. That said, last category for you. And this is the one where Gil Gross tried to sing it because I asked him, given he's couple years younger than me i was like do you even remember this song this might have been right before your strike zone and it's the no no drama no 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 no, 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 no drama. drama yeah and he goes are you talking about the song my humps and he was like my humps my humps my humps my humps and i was like don't ever do that again i was like i, I will yeah. i will say though i appreciate the no no drama no 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 drama category <laughs> yes. i'm not gonna sing my humps but i will say that uh this was monkey business black eyed peas yeah. that album was this is when i was in college so i'm i'm dating myself a little bit there Wham! <laughs> it's like yeah pump it louder and slide that oh 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 yeah um anyways well can we leave that okay so I what is this no drama category so what it actually means is the inverse of that is the dramas of the year what did we get some juice what is the last this is the last category are there any lingering dramas any things from the story uh are from the season that you think either will be most memorable from this year that may translate into seasons moving forward. What is the no, no drama, no, 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 no drama award winner to you? I mean, so, so many, <laughs> you know, I, it's women's tennis. Um, <laughs> I, I'll actually be interested. Well, I, I thought, uh, I mean, I think Ash is going to, I'll be curious to see if Ash has any presence in the Australian summer of tennis. I think she might stay away this year. But to me, that's a little like, mm -hmm. you know, like I don't think that story is fully played out. I don't think Ash is coming back, but I think there might be some intriguing uh, it's, uh, ripples to the story. And I don't have any intel there. I just I think it's an, an intriguing one. Um, I To me, the biggest one, Greskin, is Serena. Like, yeah. is, is she... Will she, won't she? You know, the week that we did second serve, which is now almost a month ago or three weeks ago, there was that, you know, she did some sort of Bay Area talk, tech talk where she, but it's like, is she just like keeping her name out there and stirring? I, I haven't talked to anyone about whether or not she is or isn't training. Um, oh God. Well, I mean, the, the Simona thing is that that's the, yeah. the big elephant in the room. And, you know, how, how does she present her case i mean she's gonna have to um the other you know, ones i would throw oh sorry i didn't mean to jump no no, no keep yeah, when keep is going. the next time a russian will be or uh or someone from belarus will be able to play at wimbledon that's yes. i think one that we will remember from this year and look at moving forward um what are we going to do with the wta in china are we going to get yep. more action there i think yep. that's a big that's one huge. moving forward as well i refuse to put the ball controversy on here like let's be if we never discuss ball density again um that's fine with me um yeah like i think I'm, those are the big ones you mentioned a lot of them 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're, this is our, this is the WTA podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In, this is our discussion. So the health of the WTA, you know, yeah, I've, sure. I've worked with the WTA a lot. I'm there. I have a lot of colleagues there and it's an incredible organization. It is the premier women's sport in the world, but where's the financial health? And and I'm not, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So, but without China, without that investment, you also have to look at, you have a nine, nine years hanging over you in Shenzhen. How do you get out of that contract? I don't know. I mean, do, do they have to go back? Will they go back? Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm with you on the ball controversy. I think it'll be interesting too, to see kind of how some of the, the schedule scheduling stuff shakes out. I'm I'm a huge fan of the idea of the United Cup. I will be very curious to see how it actually plays out. Mm -hmm. I think these team events can be a little bit flat because you've got someone who's, you know, you've got a Maria Sakkari and a Steph Sisa pass, and then you've got who for Greece. <laughs> so, you know, some of those where it's like, look, the number five player is playing the number four. And then it's like, well, yeah, but the next match is... 200 versus 400 mm -hmm. which i know is an imperfect like i don't i still don't understand like why we're obsessed with nations like just put them on just like pair all the top players together and let Hon them let them pick teams do yeah. team captains like you know what's more fun a hundred thousand percent like why does it have it to come down to country like the, for most part on the atp and wta a, a country is you, the flag next to your name and we saw what tennis did with russia and, and taking that flag away and it didn't like no a hundred percent i think every year they should alternate the one year the men are captains the next year the women are captains and you just keep alternating and you switch it around because i don't think it would make sense to have cross-gender captains because then the order just like do i have to pick a guy first do i have to pick a yeah. like a woman first it doesn't make sense but yeah, like I agree. Who cares about the country? Like I also think the fact that British players play for Team Europe during Labor Cup, like they literally brexited. They were like, "No, we are not part of Europe." And like Team Europe, they're like, "No, still, you're part of Team Europe." It's like, who cares about that stuff? That's so. I just want to see fun teams. Like I just want to yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. It would be more fun watching someone draft. I don't know. Andre Rublev over Stefano Tsitsipas than it would be to just be like nope you guys are both assigned to Team Europe and it's just like which by the way you're taught your whole life Russia is part of continental Asia and yet it's part of Team Europe this is another right. this is another geography dispute I have let's it's just like it's stupid let the players play I think no I, I'm happy that you kind of brought up a couple of those other dramas and I, I also think um I, I will be very interested to see how Radakanu had her slump season. That's a great one. She she also showed a, show she also showed on court some really damn good tennis. Mm -hmm. So how do they piece that together? Or from what I understand, there's a dad that gets in the way a lot, and that's but that you know that's their personal business. Mm -hmm. But they're I mean the the pieces are there, mm -hmm. so yeah. And also, just shout out to Petra Kvitova, who's just the best human. I just, <laughs> yeah. you know what? No, no that's there's... the perfect. That's the perfect place for us to wrap today's show. Well, with that said, folks, that's your final bow on what was a tremendous 2022 WTA season. A season where it really did feel like we've talked about the generational shifts and all these things here at Cracked Rackets, but. We kind of see what the core is now moving forward, and we kind of have a look at what this next three years might start to look like. And again, things 
somewhat returning to normal post-pandemic. Um, it, it's nice to have tennis in our lives, but you know what's really nice is having Nick McCarville back on this show. That said, you are a busy man, Nick, and the listeners want to know, what are you doing for the next month and you getting geared up? How can we expect – where can we expect to see you, I should say, in 2023? Well, currently I'm sitting in my Manhattan apartment, which is, as you can hear, in the middle of New York City. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm I'm hanging out at home. I am doing consistent coverage for for the Olympics. Um, I'm in the midst of the figure skating Grand Prix, but I also do a bunch of other mostly American based but international stories for them. And then um, I I hope to be in Australia. I'll just leave it there. I hope to be in Australia. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I like to hear. Will you give me one figure skating related thing I should ask David Kane about because we're recording later today. So I need I need a good question to maybe like actually David, I have a question for you before we start and then I can yeah, stump yeah. him with it. What's a good one? I mean, Ilya Malinin, the American, okay. just did the first ever quad axle. Okay, That's Mal- melanin, not melanin, melanin. Melanin, yep. But like, sort of like melanin, but melanin. Yep, melanin. And okay. so I'm curious. Not a, you can't do a quintuple axle. Well, maybe you can in 20 years. But I want to know if David Kane thinks that Ilya Melanin could do a quintuple jump of any form. But could he? Five do rotations, Gruskin. Quintuple. quintuple jump of of any form. Should I then demonstrate what you expect it to look like for him and? Give me one. I, I'm trying to think Maybe if I could do. Chair, yes. Could I do one tuple, uh, let alone the Quinn? Um, no, I couldn't. Are no. you good? Can you skate? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a tennis. Uh, tennis was my yeah. sport growing up, but skating. No, I, I went into skating because in for London 2012, I worked for NBC as the tennis editor. <gasps> They needed someone quickly for Sochi, and I was like, "I'll do skating," and yeah. that was my first first foray. Love at first sight. Uh, love at many sequined and <laughs> yeah, yeah. sites. Yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating. You think tennis is fascinating? Um, yeah, ask him. Ask him if he thinks Malinin could ever pull off the five rotation. All right, I'm very excited. I will ask him. It'll be a hot start to the show. Um, and as always, you know, it was hot this show. It was exactly what we needed. That's why I was always excited when you say, yes, I do have some free time. You are available to come on the podcast and hopefully we'll be able to do more of this coming up. I should say moving forward. Hopefully we'll get to see more of each other in L.A. moving forward with some second serve stuff or all the different things. But Nick McCarville, it is Thanks. always a delight to have you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Be safe, be healthy. And again, spot always open for you, my friend. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with my dear friend, Nick McCarville. A massive thank you to Nick for tolerating all of my nonsense, not only on today's show, but sincerely. We spent a lot of time right alongside one another during our week together on Second Serve in L.A., and I wouldn't have been able to do what I did without the confidence instilled in me by Nick, his trust in all my goofiness, the things you know I try to say, try to pull off. He is the perfect wingman in that scenario. He can improv alongside of just about anyone. That's why he is so talented, so respected in this business. And as you could tell, we had a lot of fun 
chatting on today's show. So look for more Nick McCarville here at Cracked Rackets as we move forward into 2023. With that said, of course, this is the WTA Awards show. You got to go over to our Great Shot podcast feed to hear about the men. That's right, folks. Double up on award show day here, trying to offer a little Thanksgiving gift, maybe a little Thanksgiving distraction for all of you Cracked Rackets fans. We've got the WTA recap here. ATP Awards show myself, Gil Gross, David Kane over on the Great Shot podcast feed. You don't want to miss it, as I promise the conversation just ex- as exciting, excuse me, as the one you just heard. With that said, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out, of course, as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for the fantastic Nick McCarville, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. Talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.